Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is uh, where we will spend our time together this morning as we continue our series uh, entitled Show Yourself a Man. Uh, We are taking these next several weeks to look at a biblical framework for what it means to not just be a male, but to be a man, the way in which God has wired us and designed us to be. And uh, the title of today's message is that we must be willing to follow the greatest man. We must be willing to follow the greatest man. You know, in our culture, especially as we look at social media, uh, we find that the amount of followers that we have can indicate some things about us. And we will follow people on Instagram or Twitter to be able to hear from them or see how they live their lives or what they're doing or what they ate for dinner or what vacations they're on. And we find ourselves connecting into people that maybe they know us and maybe they don't know us. But ultimately, we are looking to follow them to be able to get some sort of information from them or to be able to figure out life the way in which they live it. And what I find is, is that the greatest individual that you can ever give a follow to is Jesus Christ. And as we look to his word today, we're going to see the type of life that he has lived. We're going to see the way in which he would have reacted had he been in our time today because we can look at how he reacted in his time. And what you will find out is, is that human beings have not changed all that much. And so as we go through this particular passage today, we're going to be focusing in on the framework that God has called us to look to when it comes to being a man. You see, I'm working from the premise, not unique to me, it comes from Robert Lewis, that manhood is in the state of confusion and that confused men cause major problems. And so as we look to the word of God to be able to let us know how we should live our lives, we have to make sure that any discussion about biblical manhood must be founded and set on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look to him today as we look to this particular letter written from the Apostle Paul, a man to a younger man named Timothy. And in this, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul speaks to him in relation to worship and prayer in the immediate context of our passage, but in the midst of right in the middle of that, he pulls out the prototype example of what it means to be a man. And as we look to this, we're going to see that Jesus Christ, he is the way. Now, when I think about our Lord, you know, if you look at history or if you've ever watched movies where they try to take a, 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 port, a part of Jesus's life and they try to cast him, you know, sometimes they can cast Jesus in a way that makes him kind of soft. Y'all know what I'm talking about? They cast him in, in light of, you know, maybe he's a little bit, you know, a little frail looking and you know, he doesn't have a whole lot of oomph to his voice and these kind of things. And so when I, when I think about Jesus' life, it has always fascinated me 
that whenever you look at the totality of the gospels and you look at the Old Testament prophecies concerning him, that they, they tell us that there was nothing about him necessarily physically that would make you think that this was God in the flesh. That he had a frame just like ours. Uh, he had a, a, a occupation in which he was a carpenter. Uh, he would walk as a preacher and he would move all through Israel and sun beating down on him. And, you know, so the vision that we see of him is not of some individual who was behind a desk, you know, 40 hours a week, but somebody who was actually out walking and lifting and hammering things and building a man. That makes sense. Rough hands, callous on his hands, you know, not these smooth, soft, supple hands. And as you look at our Lord's life and you line him up next to the men of his day, there would have been nothing necessarily physically that would have caused you to say, yeah, that's Jesus. But the great difference between Jesus Christ and every man in his time and every man after his time is the way in which he lived his life. Now, as we look to our passage this morning, we're going to see we're going to see some very important truths about him. We're going to focus in on the deity and humanity of Christ. You see, Jesus Christ was, yes, 100% God and yes, 100% man. And that's very important for you and I when it comes to our salvation. But it also is important to us as men to be able to know the type of pattern, the type of prototype, the type of life that we should strive to live. You see, sisters, this message is going to be directly aimed at the brothers in here, but you are very valuable in here this morning. We need you to pray. We need you to pray for us as we endeavor over these next several moments together. We need you to pray that God will speak to us and that God will begin to reveal things to us about who he has created us to be in the areas of our lives where he is wanting to develop and wanting to work and wanting to move. See, the Bible tells us about Jesus Christ that he went through the same maturation process that we go through. If you look in Luke chapter two, verse 52, I'll just pull it up on the screen. You know, a whole lot of people want to know about Jesus's childhood, like what happened in his childhood? Well, what did he do and how did he live? Because the Bible doesn't really record a whole lot about that. Well, you want to know what he did? You want to know about his childhood? Here it is right here. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and men. That was his trajectory as he moved from being a boy to a teenager, to a young man, to a man, to an adult, as he moved 33 years, that we see this piece where we don't have the revelation or the recorded history of his life. The Bible sums it up in this way that he kept, can y'all say it with me? Increasing growth and development. And in these ways, men, these ways in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. And so as we look to this, we can see that Jesus Christ, he is the prototype. And from his life, we can find that we should follow him because what sets him apart is the way in which he lived his life. You see, I know that there are many of us that have to grapple with this understanding because I'm just, I'm working from the premise that men don't follow programs. Men follow men. You see, when Jesus Christ was walking this earth and he was going to call his disciples to him, he had a very specific phrase that he used when he called his disciples. Y'all remember what that phrase was? He would roll up to them and they had been fishing all day long and they were, had their nets out. And you remember, what did he say to them? Follow me, follow me. And I believe that same call that he made to the disciples on that shore is the same call that he makes to men today, follow me. 
Now, I know that in the world that we live in, we have to make some decisions, right? Because there seems to be so, so many different types of men that you can follow. But can I just tell you, I'm going to boil it down real simple for us today, that there are either men that are walking with God, for God, and living for him, or there are men that are not. There are really two categories. And what we are called to do is to follow Jesus Christ and do things his way. You see, there's only one point today, and that is that Jesus is the standard of manhood. That Jesus Christ is the standard that whenever you look at his life, when you look at the way in which he lived, the way in which he served the father, the way in which he walked and talked and exhibited out his masculinity, he is the standard. Doesn't matter what you grew up seeing. Doesn't matter what you grew up not seeing. That God has revealed to us in his word, his life and his expectation for us to follow. And so as we go through this passage, we're going to see this. I hope we've had an opportunity to find 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's look together at verse 5 and 6. It says this, For there is one God, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. You see, when we come to this passage, the apostle Paul is writing to Timothy in regards to prayer and he takes a moment in the midst of this, this time of prayer and reflection and worship to highlight who exactly we are talking to and how exactly we can talk to him. How this relationship is brought about and the dynamics of the relationship. And he says, first and foremost, out of the gate, he says, how many gods are there? One God. I didn't say it, he says it. And in so doing, what he is letting us know here is that there is one God. You see, if we're not careful, we can think that there are multiple gods because there are multiple people groups and cultures and countries and languages. And so we can fall into this trap to think that there must be more than one God because there's more than one type of people, more than one type of language, more than one type of culture. And what he does here is he boils it down. He says there's one God. There's not different gods for different people. There's not all kinds of gods for all kinds of people. There's one God. And in so doing, he has drawn us into this. And I, I want you, you to hear this same Apostle Paul who is writing to Timothy here. He had a time in which he served God in his ministry and he highlighted this fact. And I just want you to hear what he says to us in Acts chapter 17, uh, verses 23 through 31 to be able to pull this idea together. The, the Apostle Paul in his ministry it was a time in which he was in Athens and he was speaking to a group of individuals that didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he said to them. He says this, for while I was passing through, this is the city, he says, and examining the objects, notice that plural, y'all catch that? Objects of your worship. I also found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would do what? Seek God, if perhaps they might 
grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed in formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. You see, in this movement, where he is making the case first and foremost, verse five, there is only one God and what he is letting us know is, is that God is calling us and he has, he has communicated to us in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I know that people are gonna push back, especially depending on the background that you come from. If you talk to someone that comes from a strict monotheistic background, maybe like a Muslim or a Jewish person, they're gonna say, hold on, hold on, hold on now. You, you, the text says that he's one, and that's exactly what we believe. There's one God, and we believe he is one. Well, then where in the world we get this Father, Son, Holy Spirit stuff from? And then they might look at you and they say, whenever I do, when I do math, one plus one plus one gives you what? Three. Some of you looking like, is this, this is not a trick question? It's not a trick question. And you know, whenever I've shared this passage and when I've talked to people about the Lord and they have brought that up, I'm saying, man, I love your addition, but the problem is, is your math is off. Because here's the type of math we have to understand is that when we talk about God, we're not talking about just somewhat some finite being that happened to come on the scene in human history. We are talking about the God from eternity that has always been. So whenever you say eternity plus eternity plus eternity, what do you get? eternity you don't get three eternities you get eternity moving they have always been they have always come they are always together and so when we come together we understand this is not we're not saying we are polytheistic in here we understand that God has revealed himself in father son and holy spirit they are united they are one they have different roles and God is calling us to see exactly who he is because until a man can truly see who God truly is he will never be able to see who he truly is and as we see this we see that he establishes that first and he says that that this one, this one God, there's also one mediator, one mediator between God and men. You see, the problem is, is that there is hostility between God and man. When we come into this world, we are, we are fallen, we are sinful, and there is a, a, a barrier between us. Our sin has caused an issue between God and man. And so men, the men that you know, everybody in here that has a belly button, whether it's an any or an Audi, you come into this thing, with hostility between you and God. And so many times we begin to live our lives as men in light of this fallen nature and we don't tap into the life that God is seeking to give us and to direct us to. And so what we see here is that God made the move toward us. You see, there are some places in our world that when you start talking about God, you know, taking on flesh and becoming a man, they get so mad, they will get so mad at you. But can I tell you, the problem is, is their understanding. What they believe we are saying is, they believe we are saying that man became God. That's not what we are saying. What we are saying is, is that God became man, that he took on flesh and he dwelt among us. These are two totally different things. 
And so as we recognize this, this mediator, Jesus Christ coming, being God and man, he came to be able to do something about this hostility. And he comes in as a mediator. And I want to give you three illustrations to be able to understand this idea of a mediator. The first is a go-between. And I want you to think of, I want you to think of a bridge. You see, Jesus Christ came to be the bridge between God and man for us to be able to have a relationship, to be able to move toward one another, the bridge. Also, the, the, the second piece has to do with language. You know, I'm trying to learn Spanish and the, the problem is, is my English is not that good. And so when I come to Spanish, I'm bringing these same bad habits with me into Spanish, terrible. But when we have two individuals that don't speak the same language, right? You have one brother that speaks Spanish, one brother that speaks English. In order for them to communicate, what do we need? Somebody that's bilingual, right? Somebody that speaks both English and Spanish. So thus the communication can be open. So when you have a holy God who is perfect and you have sinful man, can I tell you, God has not sinned, will not sin, cannot sin. It's not going to happen. Man cannot be perfect, will not be perfect. It's not going to happen apart from God's work. And so in order to get holiness and sinfulness to be able to come together, what Jesus Christ does is, as he comes and he speaks both languages, he is bilingual, he is the God-man. And so thus now God and man can begin to communicate with one another to be able to understand how this relationship can be brought about. Now, I know when I say that, most people want to challenge me, and I don't want to establish the theology first before. We're going to get practical here. Y'all brothers looking at me like, just tell me what I need to do as a man. It's coming. It's coming. We got to establish the theology first, though. We got to get the foundation first. You know, some people will question, they will challenge it. No, no, no. If God became man, then that means he stopped being God. Whoa, look. You sure about that? And what I love to do whenever someone says that, especially whenever they're, they're wrestling with the deity and the humanity of Christ, I love to use an illustration. The third one out of this is, and you've heard me say this probably if you've been around at, at some point in our fellowship. If a king decides to take off his robe, his royal ring, put down his scepter, take off his crown, get up off the throne and put on regular poor folk common clothes and walk around the the, the the city, does he stop being the king? No, he is still the king. It's just his external appearance is different. It's just that he's not in the place of majesty. So what we see, we see Jesus Christ steps out of heaven. He comes down to earth, lays down his crown, takes off his robe and he puts on and he wraps himself in the common folk clothes. We call that flesh. And he walks and he dwells among us. He does not stop being God, just like the king does not stop being king except he brings them together. And in so doing, he allows us to be able to connect into the relationship. And as he does that, he is modeling for us, he is modeling for us how he is going to bring sinful man and the purpose of life. Can I just tell you, scripture says it better than I ever could. Because the way in which we should see Jesus is as the second Adam. We had the first Adam. Y'all all know, you know, Adam and Eve are way, 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 way back, way back grandparents. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's where we all come from. That's why when it says God created from one man every nation, he takes it all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? Therefore, we have one race, the human race, and many ethnicities. But the problem with our way, 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 way back daddy is that he messed up. And so we needed someone to be able to come in and be the second Adam to be able to make it right. What, what Adam could not do, we needed a second Adam to be able to do that. 
And so I just want you to jot down with me Romans 5, Romans 5. And I just want to read this because as we look at this, Jesus Christ is going to model for us how we should move as men. Romans 5, look at verse 6 with me through 6 to 14 says this. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Now, I, you might not be, have grown up in church like, like I did. But, you know, every time I read that, that just catches me off guard. You know, because what we most time think outside the church before you're saved is, is that, you know what, Jesus, you know, he just is loving the folks that loving him. That's most time what we think. But what does the text say? Christ died for who? The ungodly. Y'all in here with me, just making sure. Verse 7, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet, and I love to say sinning and grinning, sinning and enjoying it, sinning and inventing new ways to sin, sinning and making sure we brought other folk along with us to sin. While we were in that, what did Christ do? He died for us. He died for us. Much more than having now been justified, that means made right with God. It's just as if we had never sinned. How are we justified? By his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, it, it, you mean, it gets better than that. Not only this, did y'all catch that? That's like, you know, when you go to the sanctified, you know, chicken place. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Chick-fil-A, the one that ain't open on Sunday. <laughs> and they ask you when you get your shake, they ask you, do you want the cherry, right? Do you want the cherry? Well, of course I want the cherry. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through, how many? One man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Y'all catch that? Because all sin. For until the law, until the law, sin was, was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Meaning that when we look at what Christ has done as the second Adam, just like there was one Adam, how many folks had to sin in the garden for us all to be sinners? One of them. So question, how many has to live a perfect life for us to be, to be able to come in to have a righteousness of, of Christ? How many have to do that? One of them. It's the same movement that God has done. Now, this tech, that passage goes on to say the, the first is not like, uh, the, the second is not like the first, meaning that we all come in with that disposition, but now this gift that he is wanting to give Jesus Christ in his work, being the standard of manhood, being willing to lay his life down, what it says is that he is willing to bring us in now into his family, to bring us in, just like in Adam, he, he sinned, and therefore we all now that are in Adam, we all die because of that. Jesus Christ in his victorious resurrection and salvation, when we are in him now, we are all victorious because he is victorious. 
Mighty quiet in here. That's a move for shouting up in here, but that's all right. It's still early. One of these days we'll get there. But as we look to this, it says very clearly about him, about our Lord, that he is the mediator. How, how does he mediate? It tells us very clearly. He laid his life down. He was willing to die for the ungodly and to bring us into a relationship. And can I just tell you, whenever you look at Jesus as the second Adam, the things that the first Adam gave up, the things that the first Adam did not fulfill, Jesus Christ fulfills and he models for us men how we should live our life. Can I just get real practical here just for a minute? Y'all looking like it. I heard somebody in the back say, be practical, preacher, be practical. Number one, we see that Jesus Christ, he leads spiritually. He leads the way spiritually. He laid his life down. He was the one, he leads spiritually. So can I just tell you men, your role, your role is to lead spiritually. You are, it, that is a part of how God has created you. Doesn't mean your wife, it doesn't mean the sisters in this church don't have a vibrant role in the body of Christ, in the church and in the family, they do. As a matter of fact, what I find is, is most sisters are, are, are serious about their faith. They, they, they are praying and they're warriors for the king, right? But he has called us to be the leaders. And so, when we think about the practical outworkings of what God is calling us to do, he's calling us to be the spiritual leaders. Now, I know y'all are like, how, I do that? how do I do that, preach? Can I just give you two ways? I don't want to bog you down this morning. Two ways to begin to start leading your personal life or your family or your children. Y'all ready for this? Prayer and word. You know, I'm going to ask you a question. If we are flying in an airplane, an airplane, we got two wings, which wing is most important, the right wing or the left wing? Which one? Both of them, right? We need, we need both of them bad boys, right? Nobody's up in the sky, we flying saying, you know what? Go on, lop off that right wing. We ain't like that anyways. We don't like you anyways. No, we want both of them to stay intact, correct? So we can get on where we're supposed to get to. Can I just tell you, when it comes to the spiritual vitality of your life personally, of your family collectively, of your marriage and any other institution that God has put in place, any growth and development in your children, there are two things necessary, and that's the word and prayer. We lead spiritually. Next, he, he shows us that he exercises authority. That Jesus, when he came down, he came to take over. He, he wrecked shop. I love watching our Lord, the way in which he intentionally and he methodically took over. He, he didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. I love the way he does that. And so men, he has called us to exercise authority, meaning that we represent the king. And whenever you represent the king, wherever you are, you bring his word, his news, his agenda to bear. That's what he is calling us to do. So whenever it's your family or whenever it's your job or whenever it's the team you play on or the classroom you sit in or, or the school that you lead or the doctor's office that you, that you lead, any area, you exercise authority. And you, and you bring it, you bring his will, his word, his way to that place. We exercise authority, man. So not only do we lead spiritually, but we also exercise authority. Next, we have to be a, about God's priorities, man. God's, one of the things I love about Jesus Christ when it talks about him as a mediator, as the mediator between us, the man Christ Jesus, when you look at his life, he got more done in 33 years than most people get done in 80. When you look at his life, as a matter of fact, whenever you look in the Gospel of John, what it says about Jesus' life is, look, he did so much stuff that, listen, all the libraries in the world couldn't contain all the books it would take to be able to write about all the things that he did. 33 years. 
So our priorities, the way in which we live our life to be on mission and be focused for a kingdom's cause to make sure that we live our lives according to God's priorities. Next man, not only lead spiritually, not only exercise authority, not only God's priorities, but then also he calls us to sacrificial leadership. And if you're taking notes, I just want you to jot down Mark 10, 45 beside it. It's not going to come on the screen, but I just want you to jot down that to let that be your scripture memory for the week. Because what it says about Jesus Christ is that when he came to this earth, he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So that when we think about our lives, it might be wrapped up in serving leadership. We're still the leader, but the way in which we lead is very important. We lead according to Jesus Christ's standard and we do it sacrificially, meaning we do it till it hurts, right? But can I just by show of hands, can I see my married brothers in the room? Let me just see. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't messed with the married brothers in a minute. Thank you. Okay. I see you. That, that means that we lead our wives sacrificially, meaning we lead our wives to the point when it costs us something. I know I'm meddling a little bit. I know it. Can I just meddle just a little bit more? Because when I look at Jesus Christ as the head of the bride, the church, he leads the bride, right? We all good there. He was willing to do that and it cost him something. What did it cost him? His life. He was willing to love and lead her to the point that cost him his life. So, man, can I just tell you, those of us brothers that are in here married, might it cost us to love our wives sacrificially, right? Might it cost us a little TV time? Might it cost us a little time on the, yeah. Might it cost us a little time, right? Might it cost us in the week. Our yard might not look the best in, 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 in the neighborhood for one week so we can spend that extra time, right? Might it cost us, right? Might it cost, I know, you know, basketball season up, we're getting ready to be in this barren wasteland where ain't nothing good to watch on TV sports-wise, right? But guess what? Football is right around the corner. And there's a hot amen in the back, right? Might it, might it cost us, brothers? Might it cost us sacrifices to love our wives? Might it cost us a little time with the boys to be able to, to, to take care of the baby so they can go out and get them a little peace and quiet time? Might it cost us? I'm just trying to make this thing practical in here. And when we think about Jesus Christ, the standard that he has set, he was a sacrificial leader and he continues to be. We also see that I believe Jesus Christ in his establishment, he established the, the church. So when we think about our role, we are to be willing to establish, establish the family of God. We have to be willing to do that intentionally on the word of God, carrying out the works of God. And then lastly, because I don't want to weigh you down with too much, we have to recognize that this world that we live in is fallen. Can I say it another way? This world that we live in is still cursed. And we have to be willing at every turn to fight against that, fight against the decay that is within, fight against the decay that is without. And we see Jesus Christ as the standard, as the model of how that works. And we have to be willing to fight. Can I just say we got to have a little grit in our souls, brothers? We have to have in our spiritual disposition a willingness to look at the things that are going on in our lives individually, in our families collectively, in our community, in our world, and be willing to say, you know what, God? I believe that you have put me here to be involved, to be engaged, not to be a contributor to the mess. I'm not here to continue to keep the mess going on. I'm not here to keep continuing to see fatherless homes and, 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 out, and children out of wedlock and, and abuse and drug use. I'm not here to, to keep all that moving. I'm actually here to live in such a way that it begins to call people out of that type of lifestyle, out of that type of decisions, out of that type of direction, that we make sure that we fight with determination against the curse, allowing Jesus Christ to be our model. 
Can I just say though quickly that Jesus isn't just a good man who can be a good example to follow. He's much more than that. And what our text says to us here, notice what he says at the end of verse five and verse six, he says this, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. See, the thing that separates Jesus Christ, two things, his unique identity and his unique purpose. You see, Jesus is the God man. And I just want you to jot this down. If you're taking notes, you jot down Colossians 2. We're going to look at verses 8, 9, and 10. But when you look at Jesus Christ's unique identity, he was the God man. And the Bible is very clear. Like, you know, people will look at you sometimes and they'll say, the Bible doesn't ever say that Jesus Christ was God. And you know what I like to say, say back to folks that say that to me? That's what it's all about. You missed the main point that God was going to come down from heaven to earth, die, go from earth to heaven in a wreck shop and bring it all back together. That's what it's all about. It, from, from the very, that's what, it, if you missed that, you'd have missed it all. Y'all look at me like, show me preacher. Okay. Colossians 2, 8, 9, and 10. I want you to catch this. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception. Why? Why? According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. You ready for this? For in him, let's talk about Christ, all the fullness of, somebody say it with me, deity. What is deity? God dwells in bodily form. So let me just back up. Let's just back up for a second. So when we look at this, this is the point when we're talking about Christ, we're talking about his work and who he is and what he's done. Don't miss this, that he is unique in his identity as the God man because in him the fullness of deity dwells. Oh God, he is God, the fullness. And where, does it, where is it dwelling? In bodily form. Meaning he was willing to wrap that up. He was willing to wrap that glory, wrap that, that power, wrap all who he is. He was going to wrap that thing in a flesh, just like yours, just like mine. So that when we look at Christ, this idea of him being deity, we see in his ministry, in his life. This is going to step there, but look, I just jotted a couple of things. That how in the world do we know? Well, God, he continued to show these things, exhibit these things in his earthly ministry. Whenever he would come in and he would heal, he would heal diseases like leprosy, right? Whenever he would heal things like being born blind from birth. Whenever he would come in and he would, you know, he was a great cook. He took a little boy's lunch, right? One prayer, passed it out, 5,000 folks sucking their teeth and got the toothpick out at the end of this whole thing, Okay. I don't know about you, but only God can do that. Only God can do that. And so when we look at these things, he is displaying forgiving sins, right? Y'all remember in Mark's gospel, the house was full. Somebody decided they were going to have a, 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 um, a time where they get on the roof and they were going to redecorate somebody's house for them. And they ripped off the roof. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know about you, but I've probably been a little bit upset. They laid the man down. Jesus, the first thing he says to him is, your sins are forgiven. Can I just tell you, there's only one individual who's forgiving sin, and that's God. How about death? Anybody get brought back to life in Jesus' ministry? You better believe it. So th these are things that he's showing us the fullness. Only God can do these things. I want you to catch verse 10 now. Verse 10 says this, and in him you have been made complete. Anybody know that? 
what I find is we don't catch, we don't catch this though. We, we, we always are looking for this next best thing, next thing to try to fulfill us, next thing to try to make things work in our lives. But guess what? And in who? Him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. You see, he has this uniqueness about him, his unique identity. He is a God man. But guess what? He is also a human being. He was also a human being. When we look at his life, I just want you to jot down Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. I feel like the text can speak better to this than I can. We see Jesus Christ in his time on this earth. He ate, he slept, he worked, he traveled, he laughed, he cried, he listened, he hugged. He did all these things, same things that we all do. That when you pick up the gospels and you read his life, what you are recognizing, you're reading about somebody that, that, was, that actually went through the rhythms and the movements of life. When he was tired, he slept. When he was hungry, he ate. When he was thirsty, he drank. When he was sleepy, let me, can I just tell you, it didn't matter whether or not the storm, whenever they were, they were on the boat and there was this crazy storm happening, Jesus was getting that heavenly peace. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? And there are times in my life whenever I'm trying to go to sleep and I can't, I just pray and say, God, will you let me sleep in heavenly peace? You know what I'm talking about? Because you know about it. You know what to do. Storm don't phase you. Everybody else going crazy and you got your pillar. You know, it, you laid on the pillar. So this is what I know. When somebody laid on a pillar, that means they meant to go to sleep. That makes sense. You were in the boat on a pillar. That, you meant to go to sleep. And you woke up. And you show them right there in that moment your, the humanity and the deity. You slept because you were tired and them boys woke you up like a bad alarm clock and you know what he did to that storm? What did he do? Shh, be quiet. Only God can do that. Right there together we see. This is important. It's important to us because notice what he says in Hebrews 2 about, about our Lord. It says this, therefore since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. Who is that? The devil. Meaning Jesus in his coming, he identified with us in flesh and blood so that way he could render powerless. He could come in. We had a bully. The bully was named the devil. And what Jesus does is he comes in and he knocks the, the bully in the mouth, okay? Anybody grow up with a bully in your neighborhood? Can I just see? I just need to find out. If you did, maybe you were the bully, okay? If I don't see your hand, you might have been the bully, okay? I grew up with a bully in my neighborhood. And can I just tell you, whenever the bully was trying to bully me, right, and my dad or my, my grandpa or my friends were all around, it changed the whole dynamics of the bullying situation. Like, oh, what you gonna do now? Oh, yeah, you had something to say? What's up, what's up, what's up, right? Okay. So whenever we have Jesus Christ, he comes, the bully all this time, death, we're afraid of death and destruction. Jesus Christ comes and he takes on flesh. The bully, the devil, he comes and he squares up toe to toe, knocks every tooth out of his head on the cross and he is victorious. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For surely he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham Therefore, he had to become like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. 
I just needed to lay the theological framework, men, for us to understand it. Because sometimes, as men, we try to do this thing by ourselves. We try to be self-made men. Can I tell you that, that, that a self-made man does not exist? Can I tell you why? Because you didn't make yourself. You, you can have the sculpture. You can put the tattoo on you. You can do whatever you want to do. But a self-made man does not exist because you didn't make yourself. And when we look at this, we see Jesus Christ as the standard and he was willing to come down and take on flesh in all points of temptation and struggle and strife and sin, tempted just like you and me, but yet victorious. And that is why he calls us to come to him and to surrender to him. Can I just apply it and then we'll close out? Let, let me just apply this because when we look at this idea, he gave his life as a ransom. This is very important. Because men, we have to be willing to take this movement, this step. We have to be willing to surrender our lives to him. Far too many of us are trying to live our lives out from underneath the headship and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we wonder why we are going through the things we are going through, making the mistakes that we are making because we are not living according to the alignment that God has given us. You and I don't get to do what we want to do. Doesn't work like that. He has called us to come in and to surrender, number one, to him. Then secondly, to have a transformation. You see, it's not about religious activity. It's about relationship, a transforming relationship. Jesus Christ came down not to give you more religion, more do's and don'ts. He came down to give you relationship, to call you into a relationship with him. So as we do this, I believe there's a specific movement that has to happen in our lives. Let me just give it to you, brothers, by way of being practical. Number one, we have to recognize that Belief and behavior cannot be separated out. See, I believe there's a movement in which it goes reading, thinking, believing, behaving. Reading, thinking, believing, behaving. Now what happens is, is as we begin to read the word of God, I believe that the spirit of God begins to reveal God to us. He opens up our, our understanding spiritually. He gives us the, 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 the clarity to understand who God is. Apart from that, we will not understand, we will not come to know him. And he came down for relationship. And so as we begin to read the word of God, that begins to, to impact us. Then it begins to change our thinking. He begins to, to cause our minds to repent, to transform our thoughts. Then it goes from thinking about it till we actually believe it. Like you say, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take this, what I have heard, and I'm willing to orient my life around what I just heard. And then when we do that, as we go from reading to thinking to believing, then guess what happens to how you live? It begins to change. It begins to change. God begins to change. There's a new way in which your life is set. So he had a unique identity. But he also had a unique purpose. And I want you to catch this. He says this, who gave himself a ransom for all. It says this about our Lord in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the same apostle Paul who wrote here to Timothy also wrote this, and this is what it says. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, what I know is, is that Jesus Christ is a perfect sacrifice, the perfect mediator, the perfect power. He's the perfect ruler. You see, in his resurrection, he broke the power of sin and death. In his life, he showed us the way. It was full of grace and truth. And in his rulership, his headship, he is king of kings and lord of lords. And whether you believe it or not, you will bow before him. You see, what I know is that every man will have to grapple with the greatest man. Every man will have to grapple with the greatest man. 
So my question for you is what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? See, he is the greatest man to ever live. And what I find is, is that great men follow great men. And what I find is, is that when you are willing to understand that all men are going to have to answer to him, it will change the way in which you live your life. I want to close this way with a passage from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. And we're going to go into a time of reflection and response. We're also going to take the Lord's Supper after we do that. I can't think of a better time to take the Lord's Supper than after talking about the deity and humanity, him laying his life down. But I want you to see this. Every man is going to have to grapple with the greatest man. It says, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die, how many times? Once. And after this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered, how many times? Once. To bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. The question is, what are you men, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? The greatest man to have ever lived, the one who is the mediator, the one who gave his life a ransom, meaning he paid the price. What are you going to do with him? I believe there's only one real and true response that you should have, and that's that you should be willing to surrender your life to him and live according to his rule. You see, I find that men follow men. And when you look at your life, who are you following? I'm not just talking about on social media. I'm not just talking about Twitter and Instagram, although I'm sure that there are folks that you follow. I'm just talking about when you look at your life, who are you following? Are they able to do the things that the greatest has done? Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning... I believe that the answer is simple. It's very simple, Lord. You have come and you have modeled for us what what it is like to live a life that is serious about you. You, You've modeled what it's like to, to live a life that's serious about our relationship with the Father. You showed us that, Lord. And Lord, I'm thankful that you've come down and you have shown us. And Lord, this morning, I just pray if there's any here, they've never given their life to you, Lord. They have heard the gospel. They've heard the good news. They have heard what you have done. And Lord, the crazy thing about it is, Lord, you did that for us. You did that for the ungodly. And I just pray right now, Lord, that they will be willing to surrender their life to you, Lord. That's what the word tells us we should do, that we should be willing to call out to you and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Take my life. Let me live for you and for your glory and your glory alone. Lord, I pray for those who've given our life to you. We we have surrendered our lives to you. Lord, I pray in this time as we reflect. Lord, anytime we we take the Lord's Supper, Lord, we want to have a time of reflection and we want to look into our lives and say, Lord, are we truly following you faithfully? Are we living according to your will? Are we living according to your way? Oh, Lord, has the enemy come and 
sin come and temptation and we have begun to indulge and approve of things that Lord you don't approve of have we have we begun to live for things that Lord you don't live for and you didn't live for so God as we just have this time of openness and honesty with you I'm so thankful, Lord, that if we are faithful to confess our sins, Lord, you are faithful and just to cleanse us and to forgive us from all unrighteousness. So, God, I pray as we come before you as men, as my sisters come before you, Lord, that you'd work deeply in our souls. Help us to look to you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God, that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to this service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during the time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continuing the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time right here at Word Baptist Church.